Um, okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo coming at you with a solo episode. That's right. I'm all by myself. Kenny's off for his birthday. Happy birthday, Kenny. The other guys are busy, but I'm here. So let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right. So I'm recording this on Monday, late afternoon. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and the Knicks just fell at home to the Charlotte Hornets by the score of 97 to 87. And the game was not as close as that score would indicate, but, uh, you know, this episode will not be a game recap. You know, uh, had we recorded yesterday, the tone of this show would have been extremely positive, and I bet I could have gotten more people to join me. Um, so I'm going to try and keep that same energy talking about the state of the team right now. Um, and so since we last recorded, the Knicks have gone three and one. And frankly, the last week they've been playing some of their best ball of the season. It started with a, a win at home against San Antonio, beating the Spurs 111 to 96. And then another win at home, beating the Dallas Mavericks 108 to 85. And that's defeating a Dallas Mavericks team that came in on fire. A team has been playing some of the best ball in the league and the Knicks just beat them wire to wire. It was never really a contest. Um, and then, you know, capping off that, that week with Saturday's win in Atlanta, defeating the Hawks 117 to 108. And, you know, I just want to talk about those games first before getting to the Charlotte loss, just because it has been, it, it was just so encouraging to see the way this team performed those last few games, specifically. It was about the way Julius Randle bounced back after all the, the warranted criticism he was, he was earning himself from the fan base and from the media. Um, he, he bounced back in a big way, and it was, it was mostly kind of his, his mentality, his, his ability to balance being a scoring threat with, with setting guys up and distributing the ball. And I, I think the biggest thing for him and got him, you know, Analysts and, and folks in the media say this all the time, um, but it's Randall's decision-making and, and kind of his processing speed and his quick decision-making specifically. When he is not overthinking everything, he is just so far and away the most valuable player on this team. You know, he, uh, he draws so much attention in the post, in the high post, in isolation. He's the guy who draws the, the defense's attention. He will get two on the ball, as Thibodeau likes to say. Um, and when he's kicking the ball out and finding guys, the, the offense just looks so much better um, than when he's trying to be the hero and play that hero ball, because that's not who, who Randall is or has been this season due to his inability to, to consistently knock down shots. But it doesn't mean that he can't be the engine or the fulcrum of this offense. And he showed that in those wins. And, and I will say, I may be burying the lead a little bit, but, you know, the guy that Randall was mostly facilitating in favor of, the guy Randall was kind of deferring to as far as, as the shots go, was R.J. Barrett. And R.J. has just, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion. Is he taking the leap? Um, I don't, we, we've seen him have hot stretches before. So I'm going to reserve judgment on whether like he's actually turned a corner. You know, we, uh, 
in this this Charlotte game today, he didn't play his strongest game. I know I'm going to get into a deeper dive of, of Charlotte in a little bit, but RJ finished 7 of 18 from the field today, uh, including 2 of 6 from 3, just 2 of 4 from the free throw line. Ended the game with 18 points, 12 boards, 5 assists, which you'd love to see, but his six turnovers were, were killers. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a big kind of barometer for, for how Barrett's playing is how, how careful he's being with the ball, how, uh, you know, kind of in his decision-making as well. But RJ's been incredible these last few games. Um, it's, it's been a whole new I, – I talked about Julius Randle's mentality. RJ Barrett's mentality has also taken a seismic shift. The stats are going around on Twitter. Um, and it's also something I looked at kind of before RJ even shifted his mindset, but he is just driving the ball so much more frequently. Um, I think it was in, uh, from, from the beginning of the season until call it December 31st of 2021. So basically when Julius Randle went out with COVID protocols, RJ was averaging about eight drives per game. And in the set, I want to say six, seven games since in 2022, RJ's doubled that. He's averaging 16 drives per game. And it's just that attacking mentality, the, uh, this kind of, you know, confidence that no one can, can defend him, can contain him, and, uh, and can prevent him from, from his forays into the paint, which is when he's most dangerous. It's when he's getting to the rim. Is he the best finisher? No, not yet. I mean, he's still developing that craft, but he it's an RJ shot at the rim is still better than most offense you're going to be able to get. And also he's been much better at finding guys on kickouts on, on finding guys for threes and, and kind of starting these swing swing plays where ball movement is involved. And, you know, the Knicks are actually like looking like a proper offense. So, you know, it, it's hard to say enough about, about RJ's play. Um, Against San Antonio, he was 12 of 20 from the field for 31 points. He's had several 30. I think I think it was his fourth 31 point game of the season, um, which it's my understanding he he beat Kristaps uh, Porzingis franchise record for most 30 point games uh, in a season under the age of 21. I, I believe that's what the stat was. Um, and any time you can kind of knock Porzingis out of the record books for this Knicks franchise. We're going to call that a win. So look, the reason the Knicks have been playing better recently, their two most important players have been playing better, have been playing better together and have been playing better individually. Um, Randall has been finding ways to impact the game, even when his shot's not falling. I mentioned that that San Antonio game, Randall was one of seven from the field. He had, Two points, I believe that was his lowest output uh, during his Knicks tenure so far. Just two points, but he had 12 boards, he had three assists, and he played good defense. And that's, I mean, look, as long as Randall's whole game doesn't just, you know, evaporate the moment he sees a few misses, he's still going to be a very important part of this team. So, um yeah, Randall and Barrett's performances this past week have been just exactly what you want to see as Knicks fans. And then, you know, where, where, what direction we want to take this next? 
look, Mitchell Robinson has been a stud recently too. He's been very engaged. He's looked like he's just been playing with more energy around the basket. He just plays with like a, an anger, like the, the phrase I like to use for him is just kind of like a force of nature. You don't see a lot of guys as explosive and strong as he is near the basket. He's one of the few guys in the league who looks like he could still bring down a rim. Like that's how forceful he is. And I mean, he's been a monster, like whether that's on the offensive glass and particularly on the offensive glass, protecting the paint. Um, yeah, there, there've been several teams that just haven't had an answer for him. That Dallas game, Mitchell Robinson had 19 points and 10 boards and just the Mavericks were helpless, you know, like Porzingis was out. I don't know how much he would have really done against Mitch when, when Mitch is rolling like that, but you know, Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, like some of these other bigs Dallas was thrown out, just had no chance. It was, it was really a helpless situation for them. Um, and then, you know, you go to Atlanta Again, Mitchell Robinson had 14 points, 13 boards, including five offensive rebounds. And, um, you know, he's just been uh, – when his energy is up, when he's engaged, he's a, such, a, such an important part. He's the backbone of the defense. And then he just – you don't need to run plays for him. He cleans things up on offense and just makes life so much easier for guys when they're driving and looking for, for lobs. So the big man around the rim, like Mitchell Robinson has been huge. And really the, the starting lineup in general, the, the fourth guy I'm going to single out here is going to maybe surprise some of you is Evan Fournier. When Fournier is aggressive and attacking and not settling and, you know, actually playing two-way basketball, it changes the whole chemistry of the, the Knicks team. Like the everything – about this squad looks different when Fournier is hitting his shots. And it seems to be when he's hitting his shots, not unlike some of our other guys, that's when he's more engaged on defense as well and competing on that end. Um, I mean, Fournier, he really struggled against Charlotte today. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but just going through the games against San Antonio, he had 18 points against Dallas. He had 13 points on five and nine shooting. And then against Atlanta, he had, again, 18 points on 7 of 13 shooting. He's just – he's been connecting on his shots, and it's simple to say, but when, when he's hitting, this, the starting lineup needs his productivity. They need his, his creativity, frankly. He's not just a, a spot-up guy. He's got to be – he's got to have the ball in his hands sometimes, but mostly he's got to be attacking closeouts, right? So guys like Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett, are finding ways to collapse the defense, to get into the paint, to get multiple guys to defend them. And then Evan Fournier is at his best catching on those kickouts and attacking these scrambling defenses, um, getting middle, hitting that floater, pulling up, or just hitting threes. So Fournier is, is kind of a bellwether for this team. Um, and then you know the fifth, the fifth starter here is Alec Burks. And Alec Burks is, um, I think he takes some heat from certain segments of the Knicks fan base just because he's in a role that probably doesn't best suit him. You know, he's the point guard of this team. He's not a natural point guard, but 
that doesn't stop him from being extremely productive and, and a major plus. And, and a guy who's kind of a glue guy who does the, all the little things that this starting lineup needs him to do, whether that's on the defensive end um, or, or even offensively. I'm looking at the, the Atlanta box score and seeing he had eight assists to zero turnovers. You know, and that's, that's on top of Julius Randle having nine assists to just one turnover. Those are incredible ratios. And, you know, I, you don't think of Alec Burks as this eight assists to zero turnover kind of point guard, but he, it is impressive just how flexible he is, how versatile he is. And he does, does provide a, another big body um, to defend perimeter guys. So it's a, uh, it's been encouraging seeing the way the starting lineup has gelled, um, you know, especially since the, the second unit can't really, we can't rely on the second unit to be what it was earlier in the season. Derek Rose was the most important cog in that machine. And with him out, it completely changes the complexion of that second unit. Um, there are a lot fewer kind of playmakers Right, so quickly he's coming off the bench, and, and he's done a, a pretty solid job of contributing despite not having some of his better offensive games. I'm thinking specifically against Atlanta. He was one of six from the field, had three points, and, um, but, but still finds ways to, to do good things. And, and again, against uh, Dallas, quickly against struggle. He was one of seven from the field. Um, still had three assists to zero turnovers, so you, you like to see that. But, I mean, no question, Quickly has been struggling in being this sort of featured lead ball handler second unit without Derrick Rose. Um, and so you hear the guys calling for Quickly to start. I, I kind of – I've been torn about it because in that starting unit, you've got guys like R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, who I've mentioned time and again, love to have the ball in their hands, love to break down defenses – and quickly can very much be additive to that formula. Um, I could see him doing very well there and also adding a similar level of perimeter defense. You know, he doesn't bring the size of Burks, but he does, he does get into guys' jerseys more. He's, he uses his length better. Um, quickly is a great perimeter defender. So I can see quickly fitting well with that starting lineup, but um, he has struggled sort of, having to be the guy with some of those second, second unit uh, lineups. Um, similarly, Obi Toppin has been a, a subject of much debate among Knicks fans. He has not been getting a ton of minutes. He had, when he has gotten minutes, he hasn't uh, seen a lot of <laughs> shots or much usage in any way. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's hard to begrudge, too much when Randall is going like he has been. Maybe you think Toppin should be playing center minutes alongside Randall, and I'm open to that. I think Tibbs should be probably a little bit more open to that. But Mitchell Robinson has had it going recently. He's he's been a stud. Um, granted, Mitch's conditioning is is actually still kind of an issue. So um, you know, sh- should Obi be getting more of those backup five minutes in place of say Taj Gibson? It, it's it's worth discussing, um, but it, it it's not like Obi has been lighting the world on fire when he's been coming in, but he hasn't been really put in a position to either. So 
Um, yeah, it's kind of tricky to discuss Obi Toppin at this point in the season. But, look, I'll, I'll take that opportunity to get into this Charlotte game a little bit more just because Obi might have been the Knicks' most impactful player today. Um, he finished 5 of 8 from the field, 1 of 3 from the free throw – or from three-point line. He was 0 of 2 from the free throw line, which was a huge bugaboo for the Knicks in this game. But, yeah, Toppin had 11 points. In 17 minutes, he was plus 12, a, a, a team high plus 12 when he was in. Um, and I could have seen Obi, you know, many of his minutes I think came in garbage time, but I could have seen Toppin, you know, deserving more burn when, during the competitive portion of this game today because Randall didn't really have it going. Um, you know, he was – Randall finished 6 of 16 from the field, 18 points, 10 boards, 3 assists, just one turnover. Um, but, yeah, Randall – I'd say Randall, in addition to the other Knicks starters, just weren't that locked in to start the game. On defense, they really let uh, Miles Bridges get going. And, you know, that's kind of Randall's matchup, right? It, it takes a team to defend, but – Miles Bridges finished this game with 38 points, 14 of 20 shooting, 12 boards, five assists to one turnover. Like Miles Bridges dominated the Knicks today. And you'd like to see Randall kind of take that more personally. This wasn't the first time that Bridges has gotten the better of Julius Randall. I saw Ben Ritholtz uh, of the Strickland and Knicks film school tweeting about that earlier today. That's just a tough matchup for Randall because Bridges is – strong, right? Randall, he's not someone that Randall's going to push around, going to overwhelm physically. And he plays with a chip on his shoulder. Bridges plays against Randall like he has something to prove. And it is, it is proven to be a, a difficult matchup um, and one that's not ideal for this Knicks team. But, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to evaluate beyond Bridges dominating this, this game because – it was just kind of a weird game. It was low energy. Uh, I feel like the it's a matinee game. Um, there just wasn't a whole lot to to really sink your teeth into and analyze, it didn't feel like. Um, and the offense was obviously pathetic, scoring 87 points total against a defense that doesn't you know rank all that highly league-wide defensively. Um, but no one really had it going. Like I mentioned, R.J. Barrett, 7 of 18 from the field. Evan Fournier two of nine from the field, including 0 of four from inside the arc. Look, that's not going to cut it. It's just not going to cut it from Evan Fournier. Like he, I mentioned being a bellwether, he needs to come in and bring the energy, be aggressive, make defenses feel him because when he's just out there floating around doing a bunch of nothing, it's usually a mirror image on the defensive end and, and things fall apart pretty quickly with him out there. So um, we can't have that. Yeah, it was an ugly one today. I don't really know what else to kind of say about that. Um, but, I, again, I don't want the Charlotte Hornets game to taint the, the overall picture of how this team has been going recently because I think they've won eight of their last 12. Yes, I believe that the schedule is about to get more challenging in the next couple of weeks here. But, I mean, look, if you had told me <laughs> that they were going to have an eight and four stretch, here, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. So um, some nice wins, 
some very encouraging signs, specifically as it pertains to Randall and RJ Barrett's chemistry together, their just kind of overall mindsets and the way that they're attacking defenses, playing off each other, sharing the ball, and also um, being aggressive with their own shots. It's, there's been a balance struck here that we have not seen in any games previously. So that's what I'm most excited about right now. Um, you know, I think time to talk a little bit of off court stuff. The, the biggest thing being the, the Kevin Knox for Cam Reddish trade. Um, I mean, look, it was a low risk, high ceiling maneuver. It was very much a worthwhile risk to take. I think, um, I think I saw Ian Begley, talking about how Cam Reddish is going to be looking for an extension after this season in the 18 to $20 million per year range. That, um, that to me is, is too rich for my blood. Like I don't think Cam has shown that level of consistency. You know, we, we talk about RJ Barrett's level of consistency. I don't even think that Cam Reddish has shown that or flashes of that. Um, you know, yes, Reddish is tantalizing with his tools and his fluidity and his athleticism, and he makes it look so easy. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about his on-court productivity. It's about what, what value he adds to this team. Um, he's yet to suit up for the Knicks and, and play a single minute. So, it, you know, the jury's still out. But based on how he played in Atlanta, I was digging through tape. I saw just a lot of settling for pull-up long twos, just really poor shot selection, not a ton of discipline. Um, the assist numbers, he'll throw some just incredible passes, but you look at the numbers and he's among the worst passing you know, wings slash forwards in the entire league. He does not rack up assists when he drives. I saw this stat somewhere. He like is among last in the league among high volume drivers on, on generating assists out of drives on kickouts. Like he doesn't kick. He's kind of a black hole when he drives the ball. He's, you're not going to see many passes. And when you do, they are not going to be leading to assists. Um, look, there's a lot of worrying stats about Cam Reddish. He's one of the worst rebounding front court players in the NBA. He, his rebound, his defensive rebounding percentage is worse than Evan Fournier's as a little context there. So I, I get the impression that he is kind of soft. Um, and again, I'm not trying to kill this trade because Kevin Knox wasn't out here lighting the world on fire. He wasn't even part of the rotation. So it's not like the Knicks gave up a great deal. Yes, they gave up a, a protected first round pick as well. But, um, you know, I would imagine that Cam Reddish's upside, his ceiling is significantly higher than whatever that pick is going to turn out to be. So I totally understand it from the Knicks perspective. I'm not going to begrudge them for, for the front office making that deal, but I do want Knicks fans to be very aware of Cam Cam's play in Atlanta. You know, was it, you know, was it affected by him wanting to be out of Atlanta? Maybe I think there were some, some reports that he took issue with his role there, that he wasn't happy with the, you know, his kind of place in the pecking order of that offense. 
and fine. I would, I would prefer that it didn't impact his level of play, but he's human, so I, I get it. I would prefer it didn't impact his, his effort. But at the same time, I don't see this Knicks offense being any more accommodating to his style or, you know, to even just his presence because there are already plenty of guys who like to have the ball in their hands. There are already plenty of guys who generate offense for this team. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Cam is going to fit, where his minutes are going to come from. Are they going to, is he going to further push Obi out of the, out of the rotation? I mean, Obi's been strictly a power forward. Cam Reddish is a power forward at this point. Could he play some three? Yes, but there are plenty of threes. I mean, is he going to take Quentin Grimes minutes? That I could see being problematic. Quentin Grimes is a better, more impactful player right now in terms of his consistency knocking down threes, as well as playing, and more importantly, playing hard perimeter defense, getting up into guys. We saw him defend Trey Young, defend Miles Bridges, he has so much versatility on the perimeter and, and some serious upside there. So I would not like to see Cam Reddish taking minutes from Quentin Grimes. So it's hard to see where he's going to be getting his minutes from. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to work out. I am just cautiously hopeful. I'm a little guarded about it. I've just seen too many numbers. I've seen too much tape for me to like, be fully in on the Cam Reddish experience. I think that there, there's just some serious red flags with his game, with his motor, and I, I hope I'm proven wrong. I've, you know, I've certainly been wrong before. But, um, yeah, I think that's probably all I, <laughs> I have to say about that. Um, looking forward this week, the Knicks have four game, three games now. They've got the Minnesota Timberwolves, on Tuesday, that's at home. Another home game against the New Orleans Pelicans on Thursday. And then finally, another Sunday, uh, a Sunday matinee game at home against the Los Angeles Clippers. Three home games. Um, the Timberwolves are, you know, I, I think that's one that R.J. Barrett really comes to play. Uh, Anthony Edwards has, you know, talk some trash in the past. I really hope that RJ shows up for this one and kind of gets the better of that matchup. I would like to see a win there. I could see the Knicks going two and one here. Um, I could, I could see them bouncing back from this Hornets loss, beating the Timberwolves, beating the Pelicans and, and perhaps falling to the Clippers on another matinee game, which, you know, it's, it's tough to, to get up for those. I understand that. Um, so I'll go ahead and predict a two and one week We'll see how that comes to fruition when we record next Sunday. But, um, yeah, I think that's all I've got for Nick's talk here, guys. Um, as far as what else is on, I did finish Station Eleven. I very much enjoyed that miniseries. You know, it wasn't one of these shows. I think the, the term I've been reading about is like mis mystery box, where it's like uh, it's not a whodunit. It's not a, how, you know, how is this going to – it's not even so much how is this going to end or like certain plot points that need to be revealed. It's more just like spending time with the characters, understanding the world that you're in um, and the situations that these characters are in and, and kind of rooting for, <laughs> for the characters. So I, I liked station 11, even though it was very weird at times, I'm sure that Greg and Kenny would, 
would corroborate that. I think they probably liked it a little less than I did, but, um, and I understand where they're coming from, but uh, I thought it was a good hang. I, I did enjoy it ultimately. I did not, I probably don't know enough about Shakespeare to, to like fully understand all the illusions and the connections that they're making, right? Like I'm not a huge Hamlet guy. I know, you know, I, I've seen the Lion King plenty of times. I, I think there are some parallels there, but you know, I'm not a big, not a big Hamlet guy, not, not a huge Shakespearean authority. So um, I probably, I bet a decent amount of Station Eleven went over my head. Regardless, I liked it anyway. Um, I also watched a movie last night with my wife. Um, it was called Enough Said, I believe was the name of it, um, with Julia Louise Dreyfus and James Gandolfini. It was, uh, it was released, I believe, posthumously um, after Gandolfini passed away. I, I think that's true. Um, but, you know, I saw it had a lot of, like, good critical reviews, I, uh, you know, it was a, it was a slow rom-com. It was like a, it was a very small film as far as just like a very up close look at these two people's relationship, kind of two uh, divorced middle-aged people trying to, trying to find somebody. It was, it was like a nice film, but I'm not going to sit here and like heartily recommend it not a ton happens. That's okay. <laughs> you know, I don't need a ton to happen in my movies sometimes, but uh, yeah, that's, that's my re review of enough said. I think I've said enough. All right, guys. Uh, appreciate you all listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you heard, give us a five-star review, leave a review uh, on the podcast app, wherever you're listening and follow us on Twitter at talking Nicks on Instagram at talking Nicks. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. I'm doing film breakdowns, tweeting random stats. You might dig that. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening as always, and we will talk to you soon. And hey, let's go Knicks.